left England, it was pouring with rain. Pouring with rain. It was like, imagine the worst kind of weather in England. That's what it was like. So when we came out and we saw the sun, we were like, this is strange. <laughs> it was lovely. It's such a privilege to be with you guys. It is really an honor to be here um, and to meet many new, make new, many new friends and to see what God is doing. I love your pastor. I love Vinu. He's a man of God who's full of the Holy Spirit, and he's brought much to us in the UK and the wider family that we're a part of in commission. We've been so blessed by you primarily through his ministry, and he's bringing much to the wider movement of commission. And I love that we're part of an international family of churches like this. I love coming, so we've just come from the Hindi service. I haven't got a clue what they were singing about, <laughs> but they had smiles on their faces and they seemed to be enjoying it, so we just went with it. Um, we are united by the fact that we have all met the king of the universe, Amen. and he's changing our lives, and he's changing people's lives all the time. And my hope and prayer today is that we would all have a, a new encounter with the living, powerful God, that we would all leave here today knowing more of the love of Jesus in our hearts and a greater passion for him because he's such a worthy God. So I'm going to speak to you from the Gospel of John. So if you have a Bible, can you turn to John chapter 4? And uh, this scripture is all about an encounter Jesus has with a woman. And it's a wonderful story. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go through section by section and I'm going to make some observations and some comments um, which I hope God will really use. I'm just going to start by praying. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for sending your Son, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, for sending, you, for sending us your Holy Spirit, who is here with us today, bringing deliverance, bringing the power of God. And I ask you, Lord, as we go through this scripture together, that you would speak to hearts and that you would help us to know your love and your presence. Amen. Okay, let's just read the first six verses to start with. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon, about midday. Jesus is coming from Jerusalem. He's gone with his disciples to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. He goes into the temple, and he finds all kinds of corruption. He makes a cord of whips, and he says, How dare you behave like this in my father's house? In another passage, he refers to this as a house of prayer, and you've made it into a den of thieves. Jesus comes and he asserts his authority. We then find that at the festival, he starts doing signs and wonders. He lays hands on sick people and they're healed. They're seeing the power of God breaking out, and this begins to stir a lot of interest in Jesus. The Pharisees come to inquire of him. Who is this guy who's burst onto the scenes driving people out of the temple. Who is this one performing signs and wonders? And there's a lot of curiosity. There's a lot of interest. This is Jerusalem, which is the epicenter of Judaism. This is the place where Jesus would be crucified. But not yet. 
And you see, as the interest is growing in Jesus, he determines he was going to leave and makes his way back to Galilee. Galilee is his hometown, his home region where Nazareth is. And so he's making his route back to Galilee with his disciples from Jerusalem. This is a long journey. He's been on foot. They, they didn't have rickshaws and cars. They would have to walk and journey their way home. And so they've been walking probably for several days. And at this point, it's the middle of the day. And there's a really crucial piece of information that we're given in verse 4, which is easy to miss. In verse 4 it says, he had to travel through Samaria. He had to. Some would say, well, there was no other route back to Judea. Well, you know you can travel along the River Jordan. There was another possible route back. But this is important. He had to go through Samaria. What we have to understand is that Jews and Samaritans don't get on well. They are not good friends. Far from it. Jews and Samaritans are hostile towards each other. There's a lot of racial and religious hostility and hatred. They did not like each other. So for a Jew to be going through Samaria is unusual and likely to result in potential confrontation. Um, and that's what's, what's potentially going to happen here as he's traveling through Samaria. But he has to go through because he knows that there is a purpose for him in Samaria. He had to go through because he knows that before this well had even been dug, the God of heaven determined that he was going to have a significant encounter with someone right here. He had to go. What are the circumstances that have led you to be here today? What are the circumstances that have led to you coming and being here in this building today? How is it that you've arrived? Why have you come? This is my church. Praise God. A friend dragged me along. Praise God. Either way, I believe we're all here today because God has an appointed encounter for us to have with him. This is some of the context that is going into this text. Okay, let's read the first part of verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. I'm going to stop there. That is an astonishing verse. Really? What's so astonishing about that? A woman came to draw water. Well, we've just been told this is the middle of the day in the Middle East. I imagine the weather there is a lot like the weather you guys have here. In, this is, we know it's just after Passover time, so this is hot. The middle of the day, a local woman has come to draw water from the well. That's astonishing. Why would she choose the hottest part of the day to go and get her water? We're told that she had to go up the mountain to the well. So she's climbed up the mountain and we're told with her water jar. This is a heavy jar which the whole day's worth of water would go into. Why is she doing this at the hottest part of the day, I wonder? The next question I have is, why is she on her own? Why is she on her own? The women would travel in groups together. You would never have a woman traveling on her own to the well. She's too vulnerable. That's an extremely vulnerable place that she's put her into. So verse 7, right at the start, tells us she's traveling in the middle of the day, in the hottest part of the day, with her water jar to collect her water on her own. 
This is unusual. This is strange to us. Why is that? We will find out later. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked of him. The Jews do not associate with Samaritans. It just got even more astonishing. The last person she wants to encounter at the well is a man on his own. You have to just understand what's going through her mind at this moment. She knows she's vulnerable going to the well on her own. She goes to the well and she sees a solitary man stood there. She can identify him immediately as a Jew. Jews were very easy to identify for Samaritans. She sees him there. I imagine her heart's pounding. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen? The next thing that, that she hears is he says to her, give me a drink. Now, that reads a bit rude. I don't know what the culture's like here, but back home if someone just says to me, give me a drink, that seems quite abrupt. That seems a little rude. But really what he's saying is, friends drink together. Give me a drink. So she is stunned by this. She is staggered by this. She's shocked by this. He's talking to me. Why are you talking to me? So I don't know what she's anticipating of Jesus at this moment in time. I imagine she's afraid. I imagine she's nervous. I imagine that she is anxious. What kind of a man is this? What kind of a man could this be? Jesus, of course, knows he is pure in motive. Jesus himself knows he is the godly man. Jesus himself knows far from her being in a position of danger and risk right now, she's in the most secure place she's ever been because she's in the presence of God. She's in the presence of her Savior. And so he can move towards her, and he's not second-guessing his motives. He's not second-guessing what's in his heart. He knows that he's pure. Let me ask the men in the room, are you like that as well? Godly men, full of the Spirit. Men around whom women can feel safe. Men who honor women. Men who show the love of God and the compassion of God. Is this a room, I believe, full of men like that, like Jesus? Pure in heart, pure in motive. Women are safe in your presence. How different would this city be if every man were like Jesus? How different would it be walking the streets late at night for women if they knew that every man was like Jesus? What an opportunity is there for the church and for the men of the church to be like Jesus in this city. To show purity and compassion and love. And so he says to her, give me a drink. Come, I want to talk to you. I want to spend time with you. I want to be your friend. And this to her is astonishing. She does not anticipate this. This is very confusing to her. He should not be talking to me. The other thing I see here is this. 
how easy is it to, for us to be dismissive of Jesus based upon our background, based upon our culture? That's what's happening here. She's like, I shouldn't be talking to you because I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. It may be that you're at ch- in church today thinking, I feel a bit uncomfortable being in church. I find this a bit uncomfortable. Maybe if you're not a Christian, how am I in church today? And the Bible's being read and Jesus is being taught about. What is it that can put you off from coming to Jesus? What are the things maybe in your background or in your family or your traditions? What are the potential obstacles and hurdles that have to be overcome in order to get to Jesus? What are the reasons why you shouldn't be praying to Jesus? What would people in this culture, in this city say? Ascribing to Jesus worship, praying to him. She's shocked. This is a challenging situation that she finds herself in. I love how Jesus responds. Verse 10. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God, and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. If you knew. I love that. She has no idea who he is. And he's looking at this woman and he's saying, you have no idea who I am. If you knew who I am. If you knew who it was in front of you right now. If you knew my power. If you knew my love. If you knew that right before you in this very instant is the same one who created this whole universe. If you knew... In this very instant is the same one who is governing every breath you take. If you knew. Isn't that powerful? Do you know who Jesus is? When you come to pray, when you come to ask God for breakthrough, you come before the all-powerful creator. You come before the all-powerful God. If we only knew his power, how different might our prayers be? If you only knew his power, what would you be praying for? He is a powerful God. He is a great God. Jesus says to her, if you knew who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Wow, that sounds good. Living water. Water is the promise which Jesus makes. Let's carry on reading. Sir, the woman said, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. He says, I have living water. And what does she say? Where's your bucket? (laughs) Isn't that quite a funny response? He says, I have living water. She's gone, you don't have a bucket. Where are you going to get this water from? What What is happening here? Jesus is talking about something beyond her comprehension. He's talking about something beyond her capacity to grasp and to understand. Her response is a very earthly response. 
Water equals bucket. It's, it's a funny one. She is very, in this moment, she is living in a very earthbound material world. Water comes from wells. You need buckets for these things. He's talking about, he doesn't even have a bucket. I don't understand what this water can be like. And this is how many people come to God. They come to God and are so conscious of their material needs, yet ignorant of their spiritual needs. Before Jesus, there's a sense of, I have this practical, real need right now. And hey, we've all got them. We all have needs, don't we, for God to break through into our circumstances. We have needs for miracles and for healings. We have needs for financial breakthroughs. We have needs for all kinds of material things. And guess what? God cares about those. But there's an even greater need, and there's an even greater thirst. Jesus has come before this woman, and he knows that she's thirsting for a water that no water she's ever tasted has been able to satisfy. And he's saying, I've got living water. And she's saying, where's the bucket? She's looking for a material answer to an immaterial question. She's looking for a practical answer to a spiritual question. Where I come from, the vast majority of people deny that there's a spiritual realm. The vast majority would deny that there's a supernatural realm. I just have to have spent 10 minutes in your country to know that's not the problem here. We don't need to convince people here that there is a spiritual realm, right? We do not need to convince people that there are such things as spirits and of gods and of angels. People are drinking spiritually all over this place. It's in your face. But it's not living water that's being drunk. There is a clear thirst in this city. I've been here 24 hours. And I've been in this gathering today. And I've just come from a gathering today where there is life. And there is joy. And there is celebration. And there is dancing. And when prayers are prayed to God, they're prayed with a smile on the face, knowing I come before a Father in heaven who is good. You're drinking a different water. And Jesus is saying to this woman, there is a living water for you to drink. And she's saying, where is your bucket? And Jesus is like, you've got it wrong. Verse 13. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water, presumably he's at this point, he's pointing at the well. Whoever drinks from this water gets thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, this is fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up to eternal life. All right, let's have a a bit of audience participation. Who would like to drink water that springs up to eternal life? Who wants that water? 
I want that. Now, even if you're not a Christian and someone says to you, there is a water you can have which gives you everlasting life, you're going to want that, surely. That, that sounds good. And the gospel, when properly preached and properly shared, should always sound good. Even if it's not believed, it should sound like something I want to have. Another problem that we have back home is too often Christians don't look like very fun people. Don't necessarily look like they're very happy. Why would I want what that guy's got when he's got this miserable look on his face all the time? Why do I want to be like him? When we are bringing the gospel like Jesus does, and he says, I've got a water that springs up to everlasting life, we should go, I want that. I want that. I want what you've got. I see in you something which is wonderful. I see in you a peace, a joy, a happiness, a freedom. Yes, you're going through problems, but the way you go through problems is different to me. You go through them with something I don't have. There should be this sense of this gospel, even if it's not believed yet, is desired. That's the gospel you and I have received. This is the gospel which he has given us. It is springing up in him for eternal life. Our time on this planet is brief. Eternity is moments away for all of us. Jesus came speaking of eternal things. He came to lift people's eyes away from the immediate here and now of their circumstances to lift them to see something much bigger and greater beyond the temporal. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have. And you read through the Gospels over and over again. He's speaking about eternal life, everlasting life. This is the life I've come to bring. Just before this encounter with the woman, Jesus meets a man called Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night. Who is Nicodemus? He's a good man. He's a Pharisee. He's well known. He's well respected. He has a good reputation. So a man with a good reputation in the community wants to protect that reputation. So he goes to Jesus in the middle of the night when no one sees him. To protect his good reputation. He encounters this woman in the middle of the day. In the heat of the day. And she's got quite a different reputation to Nicodemus, as we're going to see in a moment. Jesus doesn't care about your reputation. He's interested in you having everlasting life. Yeah? He wants you to know everlasting life. He wants you to drink from that water. So how's she going to respond? Verse 15. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. She's responding as you would want someone to respond, who's got a sense of what's being offered. She wants it. Sir, give me this water. I need this water. Please, let me have it. She is ready for the gospel. She's ready. If someone comes in here right now and says to Pastor Vinu, 
I need God. I need him. Let me have Jesus. What do you expect him to do? You expect him to go, of course, my friend, let's sit down. Let me pray for you. You receive in the name of Jesus. That's what, that's what I would do. What, what would Jesus do? How does Jesus handle this? Well, let's have a look. Verse 16. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. Odd. Go call your husband. She's, she's ready to receive prayer. She's ready to receive this water. He says, go call your husband. And it's about to get awkward. This is an awkward moment for her. Now, she's come to a place of great anticipation. I want this water. And then Jesus says the one thing to her she does not want him to say. Go get your husband. Verse 17. I don't have a husband, she answered. She thinks, I've dealt with that one. Now, where were we? You have correctly said you don't have a husband, Jesus said. For you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. It's awkward. It's not just awkward. It's electric and tense. Where suddenly she's looking at this guy. You know me. You know all about me. Why is she here in the middle of the day in the scorching sun on her own? Because this is an outcast. This woman has a bad reputation. No one wants to be around her. This is a woman of shame in the village. This is a woman that people don't speak to. This is a woman who doesn't have friends. This is a woman who is not received in the community. This is a woman who is disliked and despised. We don't know all that's gone on, but we know that in this day and age, to have had this kind of life, to have had five husbands, and then to be living with a guy who's not her husband, is very shameful. Very shameful. She goes to the well at the time of day where she's determined not to meet anyone. Because she knows what will happen when she does. She is not someone who's treated kindly. She's not someone who's treated with compassion. She's not someone who's liked. Jesus asks her this question, you know, where is your husband? Go get your husband. At a time when she was ready to receive the gospel, why does he do that? Why does he do that? I tell you why. He does it because he wants to fully heal and restore her. He asks her the killer question. He asks her the necessary question. Who is Jesus? We're told he's the great physician. He is the great physician of the soul. When you are in his presence... He sees you exactly as you are. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows you 
and he knows me. Every detail of our lives. So in his presence, what's the question you hope he doesn't ask you? What's the thing in your heart that you hope to keep hidden from him? What is the thing that you're eager for him not to draw out and expose? Now, what Jesus doesn't do here, he's not harsh to her. He doesn't call her names. And indeed, the fact that he's talking to this woman and knows of her reputation says he doesn't care if he is tarred by that brush. He doesn't care if somehow he's implicated by her bad reputation. Carmen earlier was preaching about when Jesus healed the leper. And how when Jesus healed in so many occasions, he says, be healed, just uses a word. With the leper, what does he do? He reached out and he laid his hand on his skin. He identified with his shame and brought a healing. No one would touch a leper. Jesus would. No one would go near this woman. Jesus does. This is our God. Isn't that good to know? I don't know if any of us here are going to put our hands up and say, I have a perfect spotless reputation. I've never done anything wrong. No, we've all got baggage and we've all got stuff. Jesus takes his finger and he finds her wound and he presses on it. If you've got an open wound and someone applies pressure, ow, don't do that. Don't touch that. But if you go to a doctor and you're ill, you want him to find the reason for your illness. If you come and you say, I'm, I'm suffering, and he goes, that's because you've got this condition. That's not a bad moment. It's a good moment. The moment of diagnosis is vital. Vital if you're going to be healed. This is a moment of diagnosis for this woman. Where Jesus says, look, I want, just in case you were wondering, here's why you're thirsty. Is that you've been trying to find the perfect relationship. And you've been let down by one man after the next, after the next, after the next. You've even given up on marriage. Because it hasn't offered you the thing that you need. You are thirsting and you're going back to the same well over and over and over. And guess what? You're still thirsty. You need a different kind of drink. You need a different kind of relationship. How many of us know that experience of looking for some meaning and value in our lives? For some spiritual encounter which disappoints us? And the world will give you all kinds of gods and all kinds of options and all kinds of ways of, of having that inner peace. And nothing satisfies. Jesus is saying that's because there's one living water that you must drink. So when Jesus has identified or exposed the pain, again, how does this woman respond? Verse 19. Sir, the woman replied, I see you are a prophet. Okay, that's 
state in the office after what he just said. I see you're a prophet. Now, now what would she do? Again, it's just important. What would she do? Help me. She doesn't, she doesn't do that. This is what she does. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Strikes me as a strange thing for her to say at this moment. Does it strike you as a strange thing for her to say? After Jesus has just opened up her whole life? Again, just think about that moment when someone puts their finger on your wound. <laughs> you get your hand. Get off! That's what she's doing here. Get off! She changes the subject. And what she does is she, she brings before Jesus the big theological question and the big the- theological debate between Jews and Samaritans, which is where do you worship God? The Jews say you worship God in Jerusalem where the temple is. The Samaritans say, oh, it's on the mountain where God encounters the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's the point of debate and discussion. Samaritans don't have the books which come after uh, Deuteronomy. They have the first five books. They don't have the others, Samaritans. Jews have the whole scriptures. So she's like, all right, let's just take the the attention away from me right now and and let's put it onto theology. Now, when I asked you a moment ago and I said, what would be the, the thing that Jesus would want to put his finger on in your heart? I imagine many of us had something in mind at that point. I imagine for many of us, the Holy Spirit said, you know what, for you, you know what it is? It's this. How many of you will want to try and find all kinds of reasons not to deal with that issue today? Why? Because it's painful. Because it's it's painful. But he wants to heal you. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. He wants you to know his power. He wants you to get breakthrough in your life. That's why, he's, that's why the Spirit of God exposes our pain. That we might bring them to God and that he might bring healing. So she, she changes the subject. And, and this is how Jesus responds to her. Believe me, woman... An hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Now, when I, I've read this passage a million times. And this is what I love about the Bible, is you can read it a million times. And still there's more for you to see. Here's what I didn't see. Before, she'd said, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She's not taught, she's, so she's taking the attention away from herself onto theology. And here's what Jesus does. Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father. Do you see what he's done? He's brought the focus straight back onto her. And he's saying, you will worship the Father. He's prophesying over her. You will worship He's so confident in what's happening in this moment. He is so confident in what he's doing in her heart. You will worship the Father. And he tells her a whole new way of worshipping. An hour is coming and is now here 
when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is a vital insight for us. Worship of God, he's saying, isn't about a place geographically. It isn't about now Jerusalem. It isn't about this mountain. It isn't about this building that we're in here. He's talking about a kind of worship which is radical. A worship in spirit. He's talking about what he's come to do in the hearts of men and women. What's he come to do? He's come to put his spirit in you and in me. So that when we worship the Father now, we can worship him any place at any time because the Spirit of God has come to indwell us. So what is this living water that Jesus offers? It is his precious Holy Spirit. The power of God in us, in me. The precious Holy Spirit. The Bible talks about the Spirit of God being like, Rivers that flow. The river of God, the power of God, the spirit of God. Drink living waters. And this is a Trinitarian. Do you see that? The son saying, you will worship the father in spirit and in truth. Our God is one. Father, son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons. One God. He's giving her incredible insight, but he's not allowing her to hijack the conversation. He's in charge of this conversation, and he's telling her what he's going to be doing in her life. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Listen to this. Jesus told her, I the one speaking to you, am he. Amazing. Amazing moment. This started out as an ordinary day for her. This starts out as an ordinary day for this woman. She gets up, she takes her water jar, she makes her way up the side of the mountain. In the heat of the day, she puts her jar down as she sees a man at the well. She starts out probably terrified. He's a Jew. He speaks to her and he asks her for a drink. They get into a conversation and suddenly she realizes, this is the Messiah. I never expected to meet the Messiah when I started out today. In the most unusual place, God came and met with her. And he wants to meet with you today. He is meeting with you today. He is speaking to you today. And here's how God does it in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? It means that as the truth of God's word is read, the Holy Spirit takes it and powerfully brings it into your heart thumps the word of God into our hearts by the spirit so that in my heart what is burning is a sense of the presence of God. The power of God, Jesus himself coming to reveal himself to you. 
He is in this room right now, wanting to set you free, wanting to heal you, wanting to restore you, wanting to lift shame from you, wanting to release you from the worry of your reputation and what people think about you. Because here's the thing, if you know that God loves you, if you know that God accepts you, if you know that God is on your side, who cares what anyone else thinks? I mean, seriously, if the one who holds the keys to death and hell says, I love you, have no fear of man. Have no anxiety. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God did not spare his only son but gave him up for us, won't he along with him graciously give us all things? If he gave his son for you, What is the longing of your heart? Nothing can be greater than that. If God gave you the diamond ring, he's not going to worry about the cost of wrapping paper. He's given you the best. He's given you Christ. uh, He's so good to us. He wants you to drink today. Do you know the, what the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is that he goes on filling us up. He goes on filling us up. The Word of God says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a continuous present tense. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. I can never come to a point of exhausting. That's the end of that then. Ah, there's so much more. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't matter what your experience has been. The power of the Spirit today is here to fill you up anew. And he knows your pain and he wants to heal you. Can I ask you to stand? Why don't we close our eyes? If you're comfortable... And I'd love you to reach out your hands because I, I, I want to ask God for impartation of his power right now in this room. So if you're comfortable, can I ask you to open your hands as a, a sign that you're willing to receive from him? Power of God, thank you that you are here. Thank you that you have brought us to the well and you've given us living waters to drink. I thank you that your rivers never run dry. And so I ask you, Holy Spirit, as you're with us now, that you would flood this place. I pray that you would enable us to drink in deeply. I pray, Lord, that you would help us not to ignore the pain in our lives, not to pretend like it doesn't exist but to receive healing. If you need a healing touch from God right now, ask him. Reach out and ask him for him to bring healing and breakthrough. Are you carrying a sense of shame? Are you carrying a sense of anxiety from things which have happened in your life which you're ashamed of? God sets you free from that right now in Jesus' name. He delivers you from that right now in Jesus' name. He says, I have dealt with that. He says, I want to drink with you and I love you. I'm your friend.
I've dealt with your reputation. You're not too bad for me to be your friend. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for the healing power that you have. Thank you for the healing touch that you have. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you so much. He is so good to us. He is so good to us. He wants you to know his peace today and his joy. In the next meeting, we're going to be looking at the second half of this story. The woman goes from Jesus' presence full of joy. And he uses her to start a revival. What might he do in you? And how might he use you? No one can say, I'm not good enough to be used by Jesus when you read this story. None of us can say that. He wants to use you to bless the lives of many people. So there are families. I want you to just lift your hand in the air if your family members don't know Jesus. If you've got family members who don't know him and you are longing for them to know him. Okay, so Lord, I just declare over this room right now power to go and share good news with this world. I pray for family members who don't yet know you and I pray would you use us in this room to come and bring good news of Jesus Christ to them. I pray for faith and for courage and for boldness and I pray for favor. I pray for fruit. Come and see Jesus is the invitation. Hear about this man who knows everything I ever did and yet loves me and accepts me. Lord, we pray for salvation breakthrough in Jesus' name. We pray for the power of God to go forth from this place in Jesus' name. I pray let every person in here be eager to run from this place to share the urgent and good news with those in this city. We pray for Mumbai, a spiritual city, drinking dirty, stagnant water. And we pray for the clean, pure, living waters of the Spirit of God to be drunk in this city. I thank you so much for the ministry of this church. I praise you, God, for this church. I praise you for this well where living waters can be drunk. And I pray that you would multiply and bless your work here for your glory. In Jesus' holy name, amen.